been on Sundays. Um, I don't know that I would be a morally good atheist, but there are some who are, that are kind and generous and that, that put family first. And so your good deeds are not enough to proclaim the kingdom into the life of someone else. It just means you're a good person. You could be a good person for no other reason than your parents taught you to not be rotten. That doesn't require faith. It requires good parents. And so if we're the best people around, if we're morally good, if we are kind, if we are servant-hearted, if we put other people before ourselves, it might just mean we have good parents. And the world will not come to believe in Jesus Christ because you're good. And the world will not be interested in you proclaiming the good news of the kingdom if it doesn't impact your life and at least demonstrate itself in your actions of love. We need both of these two things of people that are actively good and loving and kind and forgiving coming together and then proclaiming the kingdom as the source of that goodness that then becomes world-changing that then becomes appealing to, to the, the doubters and the disbelievers in the world. We need to be people that do both of these things. There's a story in, in Acts chapter 14 that I want to read to you. It's, it's one of the great um, missionary failures of the P Apostle Paul. It's in Acts chapter 14. He's in Lystra, and there was a set of man who was lame. And he'd been that way from birth and had never walked. And he listened to Paul as he was speaking. And Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed, which is incredible. I, I don't, there's some things, there's some miracles that blow my mind. One of the ones that's the biggest of them is the healing of someone that's been lame for life. Um, I, it, because it makes me think of, um, I remember when I was in uh, elementary school and one of your friends would, would break their arm and it would be in a cast for like six to eight weeks and it would come out and they would hold their arms up and they would have one that has muscles and one that is just bone. You know that, that look when someone gets out of a cast after a long time and they've just got no muscle at all? If you've never walked a day in your life, you don't have leg muscle. And so one of the things that, that I've never got to witness a miracle like this and I look forward to, I, there has to be instant replay in heaven where we can be like, can we go back and see the stories because I need to know when he walked on water, did the waves part, or did he like surf? What's going on? Um, when the lame are healed, do they suddenly get like really good calf muscles, or is it just like, whoa, they get to walk on those legs? That looks scary. Um, but they have instant coordination. They're moving, and they're doing all kinds of stuff. This happens. But it's also incredible that Paul sees the man and sees that he has faith to be healed which is incredible that a lame man with all the suffering that he's endured for his entire life and all of the people assuming that it's either him or his parents who sinned that made him this way has faith in God. But not just little faith, faith sufficient to have his legs healed. And Paul can somehow see that. And he sees it. And without hesitating, he decides that he's going to, in the name of Jesus, change this man's life. And so Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and he called out, stand up on your feet. And the guy doesn't say, I don't do that. That's not within me. When Paul says, this is how you know he has the faith to be healed. When Paul says, uh, stand up on your feet, the man jumped up and begins to walk, which is just one of the most crazy sentences. 
And when the crowd saw that Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Now this is an important part of the story because Paul has done an incredibly good and powerful thing that has changed a person's life. And there are Christians all over the world who do good and powerful things to change people's lives all the time. They go out and they, uh, they provide uh, food where there are people that are starving. They provide wells where there was no water. There are Christians who are doing incredible actions all over the world. And when the people come around them and say, thank you so much, thank you for doing this, there is a tendency in the world today because we want to show how good we are and we don't want it to be bait and switchy and we don't want to make people feel like we're only doing it so that they'll convert to Christianity, that what we do when someone comes up to us and says, thank you so much, much for this, we say, you're welcome. You're welcome. And they say, you're just so great. And we say, you know, I'm just happy that that this is going to bless you. We receive the gratitude for us. Listen to what Paul and Barnabas do. When Paul and Barnabas start receiving all of the praise and the worship and the gratitude for what they had done to this man, the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this. They tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news. We're telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. There's this temptation in in the church today when we do good things to receive the praise and gratitude of others, and we think... See, that's good. If they think good about me and they think good about the church, at some point they'll think good about Jesus. But here's the thing that Barnabas and Paul remind us. They will not think good about Jesus if you don't tell them, stop praising me and give praise to the one who sends the rain on the crops. If we don't say, you know, in the past God hasn't, there was a time, a long, long time ago, where God only cared about his people, but now God cares about all people. And and he wants all people to be saved. He wants all people to be part of his kingdom. I brought you this well filled with water so that you could drink in this life. But if you really want to be filled with living water, I've got a story for you. I brought you this bread when you were starving and you were hungry. uh, But but if you really want to know what, what it means to be fulfilled, I've got to talk to you about the bread of life. We have to be willing to proclaim the kingdom beyond our own fear of rejection, beyond our own belief that the world isn't interested. If we don't proclaim the gospel, there is not an opportunity for the world to respond to it. As people who are our followers, we are the people of the sower. You know the parable of the sower. We talked about it a couple months ago uh, before we went to Camp Rock Creek. 
There's the parable of the sower where Jesus is talking about how the kingdom of God is like a, a, a sower, a farmer who goes out and sows his seed on every kind of soil and hopes that some of it will grow. And we are that sower's disciples. Can you imagine if Jesus came to, to many Christians and churches today as the sower and he says, hey, I just wanted to check up on you. How's it going with the planting? I would say, man, here's the thing. Um, we're worried if we throw it over in this soil, that soil is going to reject it. So we don't want to waste the seed over in that rejecting soil. And there's this soil over here, and, and we don't think it's very interested. And so we're not going to waste any of the seed over here in the not very interested soil. And there's that soil over there, and we would sow it over there, but we're worried that they would want to join our garden, and we don't really want those kinds of soils producing stuff that comes into our garden. And so what we're doing is we've been working on making better seeds, and we're storing them for when the world's ready. And we're, we're just waiting. We're waiting for the soil to come and ask us, hey, I, I'm some barren soil. Could you put seed in me? And I've got to tell you, <coughs> when you read the parable of the sower, and you know that Jesus is saying that, that God and his kingdom just sows seed everywhere, just trusting that some of it will produce a harvest, a hundred more than what is sown. The church today is so selective with who we tell. We're so withdrawn. We're so afraid that the soil's going to reject us. And the sower says, who cares if it rejects you? It's not rejecting you anyways. It's rejecting the one who sent you. Or it's accepting the one who sent you. So if you succeed or fail, it's not your success or failure. And even when we do proclaim it, I think we have, um, I, don't, I don't think we always do a very good job of, of trying to communicate with how much the kingdom of God means to us. And here's what I mean when I say that, and, and this is something that, that I'm not always good at either. This is something I'm working on myself. Uh, there's a study of college students several years back that was studying how, um, how their behavior affected how they received a message. And so what they did is they got all these, there's a large study, a lot of college students in, and they had them put on these headphones, and they said, we need you to evaluate the quality of these headphones. And so there's a couple things you need to do. One, you're going to listen to music by the Eagles, um, and then after that, we don't want to just test the music quality, we want to test the, the narration quality. Um, so you're going to listen to some music by the Eagles, and then we're going to give you a short editorial, um, and, and we need to evaluate how it works in regular use. And so they had one-third of the students, while they were listening to the music and the editorial, uh, their instruction was nod your head up and down so that you can kind of get a normal range of motion. Uh, they told the next group of college students, while you're listening, just kind of shake your head kind of back and forth. That'll help us to evaluate the range of motion on the headphones. Uh, and the third group, they said, this is the control group, uh, just sit there and don't move at all while you listen. The editorial at the end of uh, the, the recording was the entire experiment. Because the editorial with these college students was just a short clip that said, hey, based on some recent changes and events, um, we need to raise tuition at your university uh, from about $400 to about $650. And, and tried to convince them that that was a good idea. Short clip, um, but argued for increased, increasing the uh, tuition, which is not in the interest of any college student, by the way. And they went and asked them five or six questions about how was the audio quality, how was the uh, experience, did it sound good, did you get a lot of background noise? Um, 
And then as a throw-in question at the end, what they asked them was, oh, hey, by the way, what'd you think about college tuition? Did you, did you find that interest, interesting? And here's what happened. The students who were nodding their head up and down while they listened to the editorial said, I actually think it's a good idea to raise tuition a little bit. The students who shook their head this way while listening to the entire recording said, I think tuition's already too high and should go down. And the students who didn't move at all uh, said, I think it's fine the way it is. Let's leave it alone. That the average numbers of what they think the ideal tuition is of these students was affected by what their body was doing while they delivered the message. Now Paul says in 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. In your hearts make Christ Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now here's what I think is a problem. I think that a lot of Christians who are actually willing to open their mouths and talk about the kingdom of God as we experience it, do it like this. Um, hey, I just want you to know, Jesus has changed my life. I go to a church um, that's really fun. I think you would really love my church. It's hard to do this, by the way, if you... <laughs> which I think means that I actually really love our church. Well, that's good news. We gotta tell people, people say, uh, they ask me, where are you a preacher at? Uh, I say, I'm a preacher at a church of Christ. And my, my tendency is to wanna to start apologizing for churches of Christ, because they're, what they're gonna say, don't laugh, the um, laughers in the front row. And you guys understand this actually, because you've experienced it too. When you tell someone I go to a church of Christ, they go, oh, I used to go to a Church of Christ when I was a kid. My aunt and uncle used to go to a Church of Christ. My grandparents used to go to a Church of Christ. Is that, isn't that what you hear about people in Churches of Christ all the time? And we kind of go, yeah, but we're, I mean, we're okay. We're better than most of them, right? And what we're doing in that moment is going, yeah, Jesus gives us all kinds of reason to hope, and my life is better because I'm a member of the church. That's what we do. Wouldn't it be more compelling if we said, man, I don't know what your experience has been in the church before, but I love Jesus and my life is incredible because of my church family. I don't know how I get through a week if I don't go to church. The weeks that I go to church are so much better than the weeks that I don't. The weeks that, that I get my church family supporting me through tough times is, is just, I, I don't know how I would do it without them. People who have a bad impression of the church should be shocked by your experience if you really revere Jesus Christ as Lord in your heart and feel like this is a church family that's worthy of being a part of. Amen. We should be so passionate and in love with Jesus and the bride of Christ that is the church that when someone brings it up, we should be like Amway salesmen. I'm so glad you asked about this because this is going to make your life better if you'll just buy this. In fact, if you even try it, you're going to want to sell it. I'd like to talk to you about that too. Shouldn't we be more excited about the kingdom of God than an Amway salesman? Shouldn't we be more excited about the kingdom of God than, than I don't want to talk to you about politics since we just met butt guy? I think so because our product is certainly better than theirs. 
and the blessings that we've received from it are better than the blessings they've received. I guarantee it. But our attitude towards Christ and the church with outsiders is like an apology instead of a, a, a passionate plea to say, listen, I know that you've got troubles, but I've got the answer. You just got to know that I've got the answer. If you'll try it, you're not going to give it up. We need the spirit of Paul who says in Romans 1, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach to the gospel to all you who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. But what if I don't know what to say? We get, we get worried about this a lot. What if I don't know what to say? Paul says, listen, all I do is preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If that's all you've got, then preach that. Because it's not you, the messenger, who's getting rejected. If you're just willing to share the reason from your hope, from your heart, God can take care of the rest. If all you know is your personal testimony, just two sentences... If it weren't for Jesus, my life would be blank. But with Jesus, my life is fill in the blank. If that's all you've got, that's enough. Tell somebody. You know what happens most often when you tell someone, man, if it weren't for Jesus, my life would be this, but with Jesus, my life is that. They want to talk to you about their faith or what their faith used to be. They want to have these conversations. It's incredible how much, if you're willing to share vulnerably part of your story, how much they're open to sharing with you part of theirs. If you want a, um, a Bible nerd answer to what do you share if someone wants to know the gospel, a guy named C.H. Dodd went through uh, some years back, uh, maybe 80 years ago, uh, and he went and studied Peter's four sermons in the book of Acts. And he says, what is essential to the sharing of the gospel according to this, uh, Peter's four sermons in Acts? Here's the six things. The age of fulfillment has dawned and arrived. This has taken place through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. By his resurrection, Jesus has been exalted to God's right hand. The Holy Spirit is the sign of God's presence and power in the church today. The Messianic age will shortly reach its consummation in the return of Jesus Christ. We're already living in this age where the Spirit is breaking into the world through its, its coming into His people, but it will ultimately be fulfilled and completed when Jesus comes back. And the gospel always closes with an invitation to repentance and the promised life in the age to come. The next world will be better than this one, and the current world is already being made better by the people who receive the Messiah in this kingdom. It's not just a, uh, hey, you're a sinner that needs to have your sins washed away. It is this whole uh, casting of a vision of an age to come and a new world, and an invitation to join that new kingdom, new creation, and new world. At camp this summer, we taught our third through eighth graders a short uh, kind of illustrated and easy to remember graphic. So if you need something uh, that's easier to remember, just get this graphic. It's called the Three Circles Gospel. God designed this world to be perfect, but every one of us has sinned and broken it and did something wrong, and now the entire creation is broken. It's fallen. We try to find our own ways out of brokenness. 
whether it's success, whether it's wealth, whether it's relationships or distractions or pleasure, but every time we try to find our own way out of brokenness, it's like a rubber band snaps and we jerk right back into our own brokenness. But Jesus came down and lived and died on the cross so that we who are his followers can be taken back up with him. This act of sacrifice, God made uh, Jesus king over everything. And so now Jesus is this new king. This great gift of grace and salvation that he gives us is ours if we just receive it through faith and baptism. When we receive that gift, we're taken out of the brokenness and placed back in the right, good, completely healed creation that God designed this world to be. And then we start telling other people so that they can get back to where God designed us to be. It's a simple story. It's one that our kids uh, in sidewalk chalk drew all over the basketball court at Camp Rock Creek. Our third through eighth graders uh, sharing their story of the gospel with one another so that, that they could tell people, their friends, your family members, people in the neighborhood about who Jesus is and why he matters. But we don't like to talk about it. I want to end with this modern parable. I'm sure it's <coughs> not a true story, but a story that I think strikes at the heart of something that we have forgotten as Christians. There's a woman who was uh, friends with a number of her neighbors, and, and she would visit with them often, and they would talk about all the different areas of life that they were involved in. Uh, and, and they'd been friends for many years, and on one occasion she came in contact with a stranger. And the stranger started to share uh, his faith with her, and as the stranger shared his faith, she came to believe in Jesus, and she goes to church, and she uh, becomes converted, and she turns her whole life around, and she becomes uh, a Christian, and she's so excited. She never knew that there was this reason for hope, and that she could have uh, a life where she was saved from her sins, a life that she had eternal life in Jesus Christ. And as she begins to realize this, she says, I've got to tell my friends. And so one after the other, she goes to her neighbors and she says, listen, I've got to tell you, I, I've just learned that Jesus Christ is the only way to get to God. And I've just learned that I had a sin problem and now it's taken care of. I, I've just learned that I have this reason for hope and I'm, I'm so filled with life and love in ways I never have been before. And I just wanted you to know about it. Amen. And one after the other, the friend said, oh yeah, I already knew about that. You already knew about it? Yeah, I go to church on Sundays. I've been a Christian my whole life. I already knew all that. And the woman would reflect on how when she learned about salvation and she learned about grace and she learned about Jesus' love, the idea of not telling every one of her closest friends was unbearable to her. It was unbearable to her to think that she could have such incredible blessings and withhold them from her best friends. And yet as she went to one after the other, each one of them said, yeah, I've known about that my whole life. And I've withhold it without saying it. Their actions said, but I never thought it mattered enough to tell you. And either we don't believe that the kingdom of God is that good that we need to share it, or we don't think our neighbors matter enough and value enough that we want them to receive it. But if we don't tell them, our actions tell them one or both of those two things. Either the kingdom of God doesn't matter or you don't matter. And so the woman calls her friends together and asks them. She says, how 
in the world could you know that Jesus was the only way to be saved and without him that you would be lost and without him you wouldn't have any of the blessings that you've enjoyed? Why didn't you care enough to tell me? Churches, as we talk about proclaiming the gospel this morning, I'm not asking you to go preach on the street corners. I'm not asking you to go post on social media that you're a Christian and everyone else should too. You can do that. I, I don't know that that's going to be effective. When we talk about being the faithful presence of Jesus, you really need to be present to people in their lives and in their relationships. But what I want you to do today is to ask yourself, who is in my life that I already know and already love from whom I am withholding the most important, eternal, life-saving news from? Who do you need to tell? Who do you need to talk to? And if you've got someone in your family that this is just the thing that you argue about all the time, I'm not telling you to go call them and start the argument again, okay? But if there's someone that you haven't talked to and told about this before, what's keeping you back? Is it that you don't think the kingdom of God is worth sharing or you don't think they're worth hearing it? Proclaiming of the good news always ends with an invitation. And so today I invite you, if you are here today and you need to respond to the invitation, you need to receive the good news, that today is the day that you think, I need to move from brokenness to new creation and make Jesus king of my life and join this kingdom that is going to change your life. Here's what I need you to know. Jesus is good. And the church is great. And if you need to receive that today so that you can have a full life with living water and bread that will never run out, if you need any of those blessings that God has in store for you today and you need to respond to the invitation, come forward this morning while we stand and we sing. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair. When the